We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers are heading to a postseason. The New Orleans Pelicans are not. And I'd also like to take this moment to point out that CJ McCollum is owed almost $100 million over the next three years. And Austin Reeves is better than every single first-round pick they got out of that trade. Anything you gentlemen would like to add before we move on? Oh, man. We're starting out well. I, I, just looked, I just looked down. I saw like a text on my phone to be totally honest. And then I just I was like, whoa, pizza. Uh, coming out strong today. Playoff. Nothing to add. Just, I, I just need just five minutes. That's all. Really just that. I just needed to say that. Playoff energy right now. No, I definitely appreciate it. I especially appreciate the idea that, first of all, I hope Zion comes back healthy. Like, of course. All of the ups and downs that Willie Green spoke to, like after their game and the challenges that they faced, the Lakers are very familiar with those types of challenges as well. I could appreciate what they went mm-hmm. through with their decline because of injury and then the battling back with their top players. But New Orleans has had a great energy for the Lakers since the trade, as if they didn't turn out quite fine and get all that they said that they would have wanted from that trade. And there was a ton of energy earlier this season. This is after we won a championship on the backs of that trade, right? Like the idea that the other team can win the trade after the other team wins a championship without winning a title themselves. I mean, they were scouting Victor Wembanyama. They were thinking that they were going to get a pick swap that was going to potentially be in the top five of an absolutely loaded draft and a, a couple of like one generational talent at the top and another sort of like point guard prospect that people are comparing to who knows who, right? Like that would have gone number one overall in, in any other draft. And so that's like the Derrick Rose, mm-hmm. uh, John Morant, uh, John Wall sort of mold, mm-hmm. right? And they were eyeballing that pick as if it was going to turn into something. And maybe they still want to swap Pete. Can they still swap? <laughs> These turkeys, man. I 
on that note, I'm actually very excited to see what we do with the 17th pick. That's a, a conversation for the, the deep future, but it's funny how things work out, Mike. Yeah, I, I think the bottom line, it was a good trade for the Lakers. They won a title. They have a chance to, to make further noise. And I also think that the Pelicans can tell themselves and, and it should make them feel a little better, I guess. Uh, they did get a ton back. Uh, the Lakers did give them a ton of good young guys. They did get a lot of picks, all that. Uh, so they, you know, they sort of squandered the whole situation with Lonzo and then he subsequently got hurt. Um, but you know, there I did, could the Lakers have maybe kept one more first round pick and maybe not give another swap? I don't know. It, maybe we weren't in those conversations. It's, it was, uh, but the subsequent trades that have happened after that, that have been almost the same, or in the case of the Clippers more, I get that Kawhi was attached to that, but like with Carl Anthony Towns and Murray and Mitchell and all of the picks that are going out, if not the same type of like high-end lottery talent, which the Lakers sent back, uh, that the price for trades has just gone up so much because free agency has has lessened. So it's to me, it's a little bit more of a staple of where the league has gone. Uh, and yeah, the, like the Lakers won the trade, and that's just what happened. Let's move on to the playoffs. And in this one, guys, we got two pods, today's and tomorrow's, before the next game. I want to resist the temptation as much as we can. It will obviously inevitably lead toward Memphis. But to try to scout the Lakers and what we are, which is something that has changed over and over again. I'm working on this playlist uh, on on our YouTube of the different moments throughout the season, just the little touch points throughout. And I was putting it together last night, and I'm going to do more work on it before, uh, before proceeding. But... It's just, it was such a wild ride to go from day to day of what, ha- oh, like this was a 28 and 15 game from Thomas Bryant. And we won that game because of that, right? And there's so many different characters and little situations within that, that scouting the Lakers and what they are now is, uh, has been a challenge just throughout the, the season. But the thing I want to start on, D, is our defense. We've lamented a, a decent amount of how our ability to sustain our energy level and all of that. But there's also been a few times, especially since the trade deadline, where we have been quite scary on the defensive end and gone on massive defensive runs. And in the context of a Memphis series, Memphis is a really good defensive team, and they're a solid, okay offensive team. It's not their strength. And so the combination of those two things, I want to start there. And that super high level of defensive play is something we've reached a few times. I'm curious how often we can get there. So what are your thoughts on that, D? What what does that hinge on? I mean, it hinges on Anthony Davis. Every sort of defensive conversation with the Lakers starts with AD. I I suppose like AD is so good and such a foundational piece that I don't have a question about whether or not he's going to be great. You know what I'm saying? And so I guess like what is the difference between us being like that and not being like that? Everything still does start with Anthony Davis, even if he is great or not great. Right. And so the ability to be great when Anthony Davis isn't in the game, like I actually don't think that that's the floor goes down so much. And so does the ceiling. ceiling. That mm-hmm. is just like the, that the Lakers go from a potentially elite defense to like a middle of the pack. Yeah. Those are survived those minutes basically, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so if you're talking about where does the ability to become an elite defense, AD is the foundation for that, but the surrounding pieces around him need to be as locked in and just playing with as much motor as possible. So, like, there's three players I think of who 
are sort of the secondary wave of foundation players to this. One is Jared Vanderbilt. One is actually Dennis Schroeder, who isn't a starter. And then the other is LeBron James. I have very little question about how hard Dennis and Vando are going to play. I think they're instrumental, Mike, because they are the two best players the Lakers have at getting over the top of screens. And in the Lakers defensive scheme, getting over the top of screens at the point of attack, it's like the yin and the yang with AD in a drop coverage and then getting over the top of the screen. If you can't get over the top of the screen, you are leaving AD on an island. And there are few better players in the league to be on an island than Anthony Davis. But if you leave him stranded out there time after time after time, you're going to start surrendering other types of shots. And so... I would posit that to you, Mike, that it's just like there is this relationship between the wing defenders and I think we'll get to LeBron in a little bit after this, but I'm really looking at Vanderbilt and what role he's going to play. And I even have questions about who he's going to defend yep, in this too. series. But Vanderbilt to me is is a key player. And for a guy who doesn't close like I just listed a guy who doesn't close and a guy who doesn't start as being crucial to the Lakers defensive identity. But I think that that's the case. Well, let me break Pete's rule for this pod quickly and then I'll get off of Memphis, I swear. But I think that Memphis is going to want to defend Jared Vanderbilt with Jaron Jackson Jr., meaning yes. that he isn't really playing defense on Vanderbilt Jr. Hey, you go ahead and take as many threes as you want. I'm just going to stay around the paint and try to protect everything in the weak side. And I'm curious how long it takes the Lakers to to counter that by essentially replacing him um, yep. in that group because you don't need him on Dylan Brooks, really. Uh, you know, Ja, I think that that's a nice little switch up maybe to have him on Ja for some time, but not, especially with being screened off all the time, although he's good at that too. And then, you know, Desmond Bain, same thing. Like he's running around three-point line. And I, so I don't know if it's a big Vanderbilt series in that case. And then, you know, what do you do to counter that? But that... Let me let me now get off of that for a second and just look at the team's defense overall. I think that, I mean, so s since the All-Star break, and if you want, you can include the couple games before uh, the trade deadline and all that, but uh, there was the weird game in Portland where they didn't have guys play anyway. So the Lakers are 111.3, a defensive rating, which is fourth in the NBA. It, and it ends up being just behind New Orleans uh, by like 111.2. Uh, and then Boston and Chicago uh, up at the top. But all those teams in basically the same area. A couple others like Toronto, Cleveland, and then Golden State. Golden State, by the way, has been playing better than people realize already. Uh, and I yeah. think that, you know, that, that'll, they will, I think they will take care of Sacramento with re relative ease. Another aside. So the Lakers defense, of course, it's built around Anthony Davis, but they, they don't have a lot of guys that, that you just have to get off of the floor. Um, and that are that are hurting them. And whether that's in the starting lineup, I think you might point to certain situations where Russell um, can be exploited in certain ways. But he's he's pretty smart. Like he's been better, I think, on that end than people realize he's been OK um, as long as he's not the guy that has to be point of attack. And usually they can take care of that by switching the matches, uh, the uh, the matchups around because they have other versatile players. Uh, and Austin can slide between one and two. Sometimes uh, you can have Vanderbilt slide out to the perimeter. There's other things that can happen off the bench. 
you know, Beasley is somebody that sometimes will lose attentiveness and he just won't get back in transition at certain times, but he's not terrible um, when, you know, when he's engaged on the ball. Yeah. Same thing with, with Troy Brown, who does not get lost as much, but Troy's more just, is he really into a game physically? Um, is he off in a different game? But he, he can be pretty solid there. Like they've got, they've got enough guys in, in Rui certainly has been much better defensively and gives you the size. We are, we are, uh, you guys already talked about Dennis. So it's like, when you get to a playoff matchup, that to me is is one of the first things I look at. And I'll look at Memphis and say, which of these guys are just not going to be able to last on the floor uh, in this matchup? And they actually, they're pretty good there too. They don't have a lot of guys that you that you just think cannot stay on the floor uh, because you can just comp- you can completely go at them and, and the defensive side and they don't bring the requisite offense to way much more make up for that, which is like in the case of Joff, for example. So it's... Uh, I think that the the defense, yes, Anthony Davis is the reason for all of it, but they're pretty solid everywhere else. And the only other main question is kind of LeBron and and what you know with all of these days in between games, especially the first three. Darius tweeted this out um, if you didn't see it, like comparing what the Lakers just did and what was it, Darius, like eight and fourteen or eight. And- yeah, including the playing game, they played eight games in fourteen days, and the first four games of the Memphis series will take place over 13 days. Incredible. So basically, like it's, it's a massive, their massive difference. Massive difference. Half the and games, it helps yeah. LeBron. It helps LeBron more than anybody. And I and to me, the place where I hope it helps the most is on the defensive end because that's Pete. That to me, that does shift the, the Lakers to having maybe a couple of weak spots here and there to then potentially being solid for basically 48 minutes if you've yep. got those because LeBron can then anchor some defensive units in a different way. Maybe you don't ask him to do it as much in the first quarter, but uh, and that's maybe why I would just play Anthony Davis all twelve minutes uh, in the first quarter, <laughs> sure. you know, and then start out with that. But yeah, so I, these things are that very much plays into the Lakers' hands uh, to me. What the schedule is? Yeah, the LeBron point is spot on in that you can't play the caliber of defense that we played over the last six minutes of regulation and into overtime against Minnesota. And that peak that we've hit a couple of times without all five on the court really being engaged and being great. And LeBron has the biggest discrepancy between his worst defense and his best defense on the team and one of the the biggest gaps in the NBA. And so when he's really feeling good physically and locked in. He's been talking about the gas tank hitting E a couple of times uh, over the course of the last few weeks, D and uh, the the post-game press conferences. And that schedule, that the sparseness of the first round is just a real godsend on that front with LeBron. And I also want to throw into the mix, schematically, we've started showing higher on screens. We've started switching more um, and which we did not do through, uh, for a ton of the, uh, through, throughout much of the season. And so I think that we've talked so much about our conventional drop schemes and we will run that for sure. But that is kind of a get you through the 82 type of approach. And I think that you'll see more of those two on the ball showing it the level of the screen, switching in those smaller groups. And that's where I look for those LeBron groups, the groups where AD is off of the floor to kind of hold it down on defense. I think that's our best bet is which with those switching groups, Wenyan can do that a bit. It's a much easier ask than him in a drop against Ja, who would just go over the top type of thing. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on LeBron as kind of that that linchpin for us being a, a competent defense when Anthony Davis is off the floor. Yeah, so he just has to do so, so much more. And I am interested to see what 
the choices are schematically about what the team is going to do. Um, I've been pretty happy that they haven't played a lot of zone um, and that instead of playing zone that they have gone to more switching and trapping lineups. It's more aggressive, right? It's more in, a, in the yes. nature of what the team is. Yeah, like the Lakers are just a more athletic team. The The thing is, though, is that that athleticism is almost all centered in the front court. And, and, and so some of the times Dennis is a great athlete. He's just small. Um, Austin is not a great athlete. D'Lo is not a great athlete. Beasley and Troy are not great athletes. Like they're NBA athletes, but so they're great relative sure. to the, the rest of the world. Yes. But in the context of, um, of NBA athletes, it, they are, they are mid-level. It can be difficult asks for those guys to like scramble all over the court and make the super long rotations because those are things that are more suited to rangy forwards than they are to to guards that don't have a lot of pop. So I am interested to see, though, how that all coalesces because the the urgency in which this team is going to have to play in screen actions is to me like the most important part of their defense this series and so in getting back to lebron lebron is so great at reading the action when it's in front of him and how to navigate screen actions and where he needs to be in order to try to blow something up and that's where i anticipate him being sort of at the epicenter of um quality defensive possessions when AD isn't in the game. It's as a communicator. It's as someone who is organizing guys from the back line. It's someone who is making weak side rotations in order to take charges and challenge shots at the rim. And it is being a guy who could stomp his feet and chop them and close out to the arc and then and then deter a drive in order to, to make a to make Memphis like reset a possession because that is where you're going to get Memphis to struggle. In my opinion, Mike, it's, it's okay. Well, go create something with five seconds left on the shot clock. Now they got jaw, but outside of jaw, they don't have a lot of guys that you feel like, Oh, that guy's going to get me a quality look every single time. And so that's where I think LeBron can be very helpful and, and will be super important with AD not in the game. So I mentioned the Lakers' defensive rating, right? And we, it's been a much talked about thing, right? Where they've been, whether they were first for part of this time, they end up being fourth. But you know, Pete, going uh, this is a, to ask you a question: like to go into a first round series, you've got plenty of teams. Sacramento was twenty fourth after the All Star break. The Clippers were twentieth. Uh, Denver actually was fifteenth, a little bit better than you might expect. They dropped some on offense. Like those, to me, that's where I get, I start to get concerned. If you if you just have not shown the capability of sustaining a good defensive energy for a while, and I, that's not the case for the Lakers. So therefore, what are your primary concerns on that end? And how do they how are they mitigated um, by what you've seen? Uh, and does the other side of the ball give you as much or more pause in kind of like the whole how the whole thing works together? Yeah, let's talk about the defense first, then take a break and then uh, address the offensive end. My biggest concern on defense is just a level of collective athleticism that I think plays into the lack of athleticism that we have on the perimeter. It's also why guys like Rui are really important in, in this series. Vando as well, but Vando I think is a potential concern for exactly the reason you brought up earlier, Mike, of that 
Jaron Jackson Jr., and we'll get into this more, I think, in tomorrow's pod. A big part of the way Memphis's defense operates best is when Jaron Jackson Jr. doesn't have to actually guard his guy. And that's exactly what Jared Vanderbilt is. So it plays into what Memphis does best on the defensive end. That said, there are a lot of guys on, that they have on the perimeter that are good athletes that can crash the glass. And so the defensive boards and all of that, I think, are going to be really important. That said, like, I wouldn't be want to be facing Anthony Davis with my third string center as the top guy that's available at the five spot. You know, like they're without Steven Adams. They're without Brandon Clark, both good players in different ways. They don't really have a like their bruiser now is Xavier, Til- Xavier Tillman Sr. Mike, who's for, for context, Tillman guarded him straight up uh, in their right. last game and it didn't work. You know, that in AD and I, I talked to him briefly about it. And AD's like, essentially, if they want to do that, you know, sure. All right. Right. And. And that's not playoff Anthony Davis that's, you know, top 10 all time in scoring. I think people don't realize when AD's at his, you know, peak, not only is he the centerpiece of a really elite defense, he's one of the best playoff scorers of all time. And so, yeah, if they want to single cover Xavier uh, AD with Xavier Tillman, by all means. Um, But the wing athleticism, I just see a lot of like crashing to the boards that could happen and just a level of running the floor and sustainment. We talk about that idea of sustaining your energy. Memphis has no problem with that. Memphis got that for days. So let's take a break when we come back. Let's flip sides of the court and talk offense. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The offensive end is a trickier one for the Lakers. Uh, Despite being without their top two fives, they are still a very good defensive team. Uh, I think Dylan Brooks is in the conversation for an all-defensive team. Very physical team on the perimeter that chops their feet well on closeouts, that can get a good hand up. 
they really look to take away the paint though, D, right? We're one of the things that uh, I think is going to play into this series is Taylor Jenkins, the coach of the Memphis Grizzlies is also a Mike Budenholzer disciple. And so schematically in a lot of instances, we're going to be playing in the mirror this series. And so they're going to be taking away the paint. They're very good at it. They execute the, the principles well, but I think Anthony Davis is the, the focal point of everything. I am concerned with the Lakers offense actually against the Memphis defense. Me too. Memphis is a good turnover team. Like, they're good at creating turnovers. Yes, I wish we brought that up. When when I was watching the Minnesota game the other day, and I was like, oh, the one thing that I felt like we didn't hit was that right there. They could absolutely turn us over, and those will be pick sixes. And this is where I think it's much harder to not bring Memphis into the conversation when you talk about the Lakers offense because sure. a self-scout is going to be much more related to what the other team can do to you typically when you're on offense you're dictating the terms of of engagement but when you have two defenses of the caliber that memphis and the lakers can get to Mm -hmm. that formula can switch and especially when you're playing two offenses that are sort of similar that rely on individual shot creation from one or two players in order to be the driver of what they do I look at the Lakers offense and a couple of things stand out to me. You mentioned that it is going to go through AD, but they are not going to single cover AD. Yes. AD is never going to see his defender with no backline help lurking. These are going to be soft doubles. Yeah. Like they are going to be a ton of like, almost strong side zone looks where the weak side defender is going to be two feet in the paint, two feet in the paint. And then they will flaunt and and they will flirt with defensive three second violations. Yep. Like if I was the Lakers, I'd already be talking to the league oh, yeah. officials. You, you got to be near and, the hash mark going one, two, yes. three. I would yeah. already be doing that. Like, Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be in there. Whoever, like Dylan Brooks, is going to be in there. Every weak side defender is basically going to have two feet in the paint, and they're going to be like, look, we don't trust you to pass as well as you need to pass, and we trust our collective athleticism to rotate. And so I have concerns about what the Lakers are going to do in the half-court offense, especially And I think that the individual shot creation and pick and roll and the variety of the pick and rolls that that the Lakers run is going to be super important in order to try to get Memphis in rotation in ways that they that they are less comfortable in rotation, if that makes sense. If Memphis is dictating the terms of what their rotations are going to be, they're going to be very sharp and very good and all of that movement that you thought that you were creating and swing swing that second swing is going to be a contested shot at the end of that because memphis understands where where they're supposed to go i'm so mike when i think about the lakers offense to me i know that we started talking about ad but and lebron is super important here but i honestly think it's the secondary guard it's delo and dennis and austin and their ability to play off of the bounce and create separation that is going to be super important this series let's talk a little delo real quick because uh he was rough in that minnesota game and as somebody who's always cheered for him and wanted him to do well that's not the first time i've seen him do that in a postseason or postseason type of environment. The game speeds up, Mike. The closeouts are faster. The level of intensity 
picks up in ways that throughout NBA history, there are guys that can struggle with that. And so this is a big moment of truth playoffs to me for D'Angelo Russell, who is in a much more appropriate role, I think, next to two stars and can kind of play off of them. But there are some nights, man, we ran our first play uh, against Minnesota for D'Lo, ran a little exit screen for like a wing three. And that was like wide right and three feet long. It's like off the backboard. These aren't, you know, back rims or just in and out, Mike. It's like he's so off that that it's like, oh, I don't think he can play in the closing parts of this game. And that's what happened. And so D'Angelo Russell is going to be a key figure in this series if we're going to win it. I, I was chuckling in the background just because I've noticed, and, and I get a lot of pleasure out of it, that Darius will say swing, swing at least once per yeah. pod. Yeah, you yeah. Love he needs a shirt. He a loves swing, a swing, swing. swing. It's, the, it's the most beautiful basketball. Mike, this is how you play. <laughs> It's I how agree. you play, man. I just like, like the way you say it, though. It's like you say it with like as if you were saying your daughter's names consecutively. You know? Yeah, it's very, like, very yeah. lots <laughs> of reverence. Yes. <laughs> when you see one happen in the wild, it's just like, <laughs> oh my goodness, I have seen true beauty with you, you, this. You, you got to make the shot, though, D. Right there. How many times the last couple of years it's been like swing, swing? Uh, oh, that so, shot where well, the whole swell happens. I, that's one of my favorite I, things about the swing, swing is the the swell in the crowd that happens where they see it coming, right? And the payoff is great, but when it doesn't happen, it's it's Pat rough. Bev Pat Bev, Pat missed, Bev, yes, <laughs> oh. missed seventy five <laughs> swing, swing shots in the first two months of the season, bro. He oh, missed year, every oh, swing. Man. Pat Bev was the was the the grave digger um, for the swing swing. I mean, he oh, was just he man. was putting that thing into six feet under. Um, all right, I'll try to I'll try to steer us back on course here <laughs> after I took us off. D'Angelo Russell, I would point to D'Lo's initial press conference this season as that's I think indicative of some of what we're talking about here. He has reached a point in his career and just his life where he's got a certain level of Zen. He's, he plays a certain way. He's very comfortable in that way. If you, and again, well, just, just regular season wise. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of agree with Pete here in a second. Like if the approach wor- has worked for him really well this year in most circumstances, but the, when the, when the rest of the game, oh, sorry, let me, let me explain that first. Like, if teams are pressuring him a little more, he's content to pass and go space. Like he did have eight assists and I think one turnover in that last game, uh, but he is not going to force the issue. He is not going to be aggressive. He's not going to counter aggression with aggression. He's not going to say, Oh, you're pressuring me. Okay, fine. Let me put you, let me put you in jail or like kind of get work my way into the pain and basically force my way uh, into a certain possession. And part of that is, is some of that is I think a lack of, of a, of a strength in a certain way, lo, like lower body wise. But that's, that's one thing. If it's a flow game and the other team is not p- paying particular attention to him, then he's yeah. going to crush you. And that's what yeah. he, he did. Like he won them some games where, where he's, where he makes three threes in a minute and a half, you know, a couple of them are in transition. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how, how he has played. That's, that is not ideal for a postseason s- situation when the other team is pressing up the whole time. And I don't know that that's going to change other than that it will become a focus. And maybe, you know, when, when kind of with LeBron and Anthony Davis around him, and maybe that's something that can improve to a certain extent, but you also don't really want him just as a spot up guy 
and then, you know, having the other team that can attack a little bit more defensively. And, and so he like, why did the Lakers end up closing the game the way that they did the last game, the playing game? And it was no, it was no Russell and it was no Vanderbilt. And both of them have some flaws. And that's also part of the reason why the Lakers were able to get them mm-hmm. and like why they weren't, why the other team didn't say we have to keep these guys on this roster because they're, they're starters that are going to be good in pretty much every situation. Like they do have a couple of limitations as to whether or not he can get past that. And then how that impacts the offense. I think it is a concern uh, against Memphis specifically because Memphis being a really good defense. Uh, but here's like, here's where I, I kind of Pete going to bring LeBron back into this because Dylan Brooks, who I think is definitely an all NBA level defender. I'd probably have him on my second team this year. He's going to make second. Team. He's really good. He's not taking LeBron out of the game. He's just not, not, not over the course of a series. He might make LeBron, right. he might give LeBron a couple problems here and there, but you, th- you really think LeBron is not going to find the answer, which by the way, as you guys have pointed out, you just take him to the block. I'm, I'm waiting for it. I'm just waiting for it. I think what, it what, yeah. Dylan Brooks can't do anything with him down there. Now he can do stuff if he's, uh, if it's dribble, dribble, what we talked about last pod, yes. top of the key, clear out. Yep. He's going to give him fits in that kind of a situation. In a, in a Lou Dort type way, like the possession on Kawhi, um, yeah. even if that had, I won't get into why that also didn't work. I was going to take a shot at somebody, but I don't want Pete. <laughs> and <laughs> I, so that if, if that, if that's where things are, are, are cascading, then who do the Grizzlies have to put on Russell? Like Dylan Brooks would be a really tough matchup for Russell, but he's not going to be on him. Now, Bain is also a mm-hmm. tough physical defender. They have, you know, Conchar could come in, but it's, I think that he's more likely like they're going to have Ja, and, and if it's not him, then guess what? Then Austin has to be the one that does a lot more. And Austin, I do think having this rest will, will, yeah. will play better. Austin was tired the last couple of games, flat out. So hey, there's a reason Dennis was like one of our best players is he got a week off, which he didn't want. He was speaking yes. to it in the post game. Right. But like that dude, that was the dude with the energy. And so, yeah, this this rest and winning on Tuesday. And the guys talked about this, D, just like it was essential to get that win, not just to be the seven seed or whatever, but to get the requisite rest. And when we look at the offense in particular, that's one of the places I land is we've got enough skill to where it's like, OK, if Dylan Brooks is on D'Angelo Russell for this possession because LeBron's out of the game or whatever it's but Austin's on the floor it's like run the offense through Austin or run it through Dennis right like find the mismatch or find the place where they're weakest and we have enough skill at the guard spots to be able to take advantage of that or at least or at least attack from that point along with the AD advantage I love the playoffs me too this is the, the best. Playoffs. This is my favorite week too because all of the games right it's going to be wall-to-wall basketball this is great I love the playoffs. I literally just had 75 thoughts in my head about like <laughs> yeah. all the matchups and all of the different things. And we'll get into more of this stuff tomorrow when we dive into like both sides of the ball and opponent and scheme and matchups and so much more. The thing about Russell is that he is going to find possessions where Brooks is on him or Bain is on him or they've switched and Jaron Jackson Jr. is is on him. The thing I did not like about Russell's performance against Timberwolves is that he he never found that zen. Mike. I was going to say this too. 
he got knocked off of his rails very early in the game and he was never able to get back into it. Uh, like I even said, like, oh, man, I hope Darwin pulls him here and just sits him down for a couple of minutes, like pull him early, sit him down, talk to him a little bit like, hey, recenter and find it. But he never did all the way through the end of the game, like. LeBron threw that sort of like half lazy inbounds pass, but Russell also wasn't ready to play full speed yep. at that point of the game. And that's what led to the turnover too. D'Lo didn't run through the ball. And so it was indicative of his entire performance up to that point in the game. And, and so I do think that he will play better. Like the thing about Memphis, and we'll talk about this more tomorrow, is that they have two really good wing defenders and then they have John Morant. And and they've got a defense. They've got the player who's probably going to win defensive player of the year in Jaron Jackson. And then they've got a second big that is just sort of strong and will likes to hang around the basket, but isn't going to impact a lot of things defensively. Memphis has two targets. Yeah, they have two entry points to defense. And I'll be very interested to see what Memphis decides, like who guards Ja Morant. Who guards, or I'm sorry, who does John Morant guard? Does he guard D'Lo? If he guards D'Lo, D'Lo's going to find some zen. Yeah. Trust me. And if he guards Austin, the Austin we've seen the last six weeks, that's a different player. It just is. And like when we get into more of the individual matchups, like one of the things that I'm super interested in is like three guard looks mm -hmm. against Memphis and when, especially when Triple J is on the bench, like they're so, the, the Lakers have not gone to their three guard look basically at all since LeBron got back because LeBron has been the third guard, hey, right? Jared, they haven't needed the. I want to, I want to stop you on the one point because I want to hear more from you on it. Uh, and, and Pete, the course over the course of a playoff series, if it, especially the guy that leads the other team in this case, it would be Ja. I always loved the idea of going at them from the start of the series on the other side of the floor. So like, yeah. I think whoever jaw guards, that's where you're running the offense through. Like that's where he's starting. Or if you're getting yep. him switched. So if it's D'Lo, if it's Austin, fine, take your pick. Instead of letting them, letting Dylan Brooks just, you know, try to get to harass LeBron the whole time like that. Uh, so I just want to pause you on that concept. If you think it's realistic and how that would actually work basketball wise. You have to do every tactic that you have at your disposal in order to win. And the Lakers can be such a herky-jerky offense, Pete, that it's just like finding these little wrinkles, like inverted ball screens. Oh, well, who is Jaw guarding? Or like Jaw's defending Russell? Well, then set some on-ball screens with Russell and LeBron. They've done yeah. barely any of that this season, but that's certainly in their bag. You remember the Portland game where we came back from the massive... Uh, yeah. deficit. A big part of that was exactly that. Dame, who's, who's Dame guarding? Go set a screen for LeBron. Let's go get a bucket. No, and so there's there's so many things that the Lakers are going to need to try offensively, and they're going to need to zero in on three or four that work and then spam actions off of that stuff, because Memphis is too good defensively with their base guys in, like Bain and Brooks on the perimeter with Triple J behind them. Triple J is an unreal rim protector. And he is that classic. He reminds me of like AD yep. 
right? Just in terms of that that guy who can get all the way to the corner, then all the way back to, to the paint, then all the way back to the perimeter, then all the way back to the paint. And he's got great instincts as a shot blocker and he is massive. And so they're going to have to figure some things out, Pete. They're the bigs that can't be played off of the floor. This is one of the ongoing storylines over the last 10 years in the NBA. The reason the NBA started to downsize in the playoffs was because you'd spread out into five out sets. And those fives aren't used to making those rotations and don't have the skill set to be able to do that. The Jaron Jackson Juniors, your Evan Mobley's, obviously Anthony Davis, they can do that. And Draymond, of course. Yes, and Draymond, of course. But J Draymond's like wing size. Do you know what I mean? And so there's no advantage to being wing size. So those bigs being able to get out onto the perimeter become super important. I think that LeBron's decision making is going to be at the center of all of this in that it's going to be very easy for him to divert to being the perimeter guard that's attacking the guy across from him. And I'm better at that than anybody in the world. And it doesn't matter who you have guarding me because I'm going to get to the rack. We've seen that over and over again throughout the season, especially in, in close games in the last five minutes, where that approach has led to really stagnant type of offense. And so it's going to be the identification of, oh, Austin's got the, the disadvantage here, or it's we have this advantage that we can attack that might not be LeBron on the perimeter with the ball in his hands that I think – this is one of the most fascinating storylines I've ever seen going into a playoff series for the Lakers is you've got one of the truly all-time greats with an unprecedented ask in terms of lead your team to a championship in year 20, right? And the way that I think LeBron's going to have to do that is a little bit different than in previous year times when he's done that. And how he navigates that is fascinating to me. So We'll wrap up here. We'll go be back tomorrow. This is essentially going to be a two-pod, you know, scouting preview of the Memphis series. We'll be back to talk more then. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Bryant, unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant, yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. And insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble.
And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.